there i feel like there are two distinct camps yeah like some people are guitar cleaners and some people are not i was gonna and ask i've you. always and i've always been a guitar cleaner for sure like the wipe um, down at least after the practice the wipe down like that. yeah I'm sure that like sweat eats away, you know, if you leave it on there, like it totally eats at the finish, which in, in a way it can be really cool if you play a lot of gigs or do a lot of practicing. Right. Um, I remember we played a show, I might have talked about it on here and I think I have a photo of it somewhere, but um, played a show with Blaine back in the day with the with the 75P that you now own. And um, it literally, it was like we played in this hot, sweaty church basement in Indiana and we got done, we played like an hour and a half set. We got done and it. I set it in the case and I didn't wipe it down and it literally looked like somebody spilled like a milkshake on it because of the Ew. black, because of the black and then like the thick kind of sweat yeah. just dripping down the side. It was like, it was almost like this white, like, dude, that's exactly what that's that white thing was what yeah. I noticed on my Les Paul the yeah. other day. And I was like, that's weird. It looks awesome. And, and I'm going <laughs> to, and I'm going to leave it. But then when I took it back out of the, I was, I'm using a gig bag cause it's easier for me to carry it around right. and fuck cases. Generally of course. Speaking. Yeah. Seriously. Um, it was gone. It, yeah. There was no more white. It was, yeah. but I I didn't know if that I didn't know what that was. I was like, because I've sweat on a lot of guitars, but I'd never seen white like that before. Yeah, yeah. It's just I think it's mixed in too with like the you know the finish and all that stuff. Just that kind yeah. of that weird hazy. Because obviously we don't sweat like white. <laughs> I hope not. You know, like white uh, cream or something like. Got that. my but, jizz sweat. Yeah, I know. That's you know, I was kind of dancing around it, but yeah, that's kind of what it looked like. Um, but yeah, man, that thing was thrashed. And I remember just like, I remember think like having that moment where I'm like, I could totally wipe this down. There was like a towel right there, and I was like, Yeah, I'll just lock her back up in the case, and we'll see. We'll see what she looks like tomorrow. And it actually and it did go it's away. A, it's uh, my problem anyway. Yeah, so, you know, right. It all so, worked out for you, <laughs> but it's probably. Probably contributes to why it's not quite as shiny in that in that upper arm area right there. So I don't want it shiny anyway, no, man. man. Although I will say, I remember when I bought that from you, there was there was some funk on the neck that you had left yeah. on there, and I just I cleaned that bad boy off because yeah. that that's something that I don't know, man. Like any guitar, any old guitar, no matter what, the first thing I do, I want to I want to change the strings yep. and clean the neck off. There's yeah. something about it that just like. Even if it looks cool, I don't know. Well, I just I, I want to leave my own dirt. Yeah. yeah, you're making it your own at that point, and you know it's going to build up again over time. Like that's, you know, that's kind of the thing with that is like you know you're going to put your own sweat into it. So why not just take off that first layer? Um, you know, I've I've definitely done that. Have you done that with like a rosewood fretboard? You know, do you ever get that grime like in the rosewood? Oh, of course. Yeah, and you see like it's you see like five spots because yeah you know, of the like the six lines from yep. where your fingers are. Oh yeah, dude. I've because I, you know do you I've, scrape that I've off or do you just like do you just wipe? I over do. It? Yeah, I do. It depends on it depends on well if it's somebody else's guitar I would ask them but for course, mine yeah, yeah. I definitely scrape that off and then do because if if it has that much grime on it there's a good chance that it also needs uh, a little. Uh, lemon oil uh, fretboard yep. treatment so right. i'll do I'll, I'll sort of scrape it off with a straight edge be trying to be careful without taking the wood off and then do a little uh little rosewood uh lemon oil bath yeah i, I did it once where I, I actually like took like a light plastic you know like a really light plastic scraper and i yeah. used the lemon oil and then i kind of scraped all that gunk off and it was like this you know it's like oil from your fingers so it turns like kind of greenish brown it's it's disgusting yeah. right it's real gross. but i but i scraped it off my 62 and i remember it was the first time i had really really cleaned it like that like i've used the lemon oil before and all that i do that you know every few months but this was the first time I scraped off that gunk like with a with an actual scraper like deliberately, and I remember afterwards it looked really cool, but I was kind of sad. I was kind of like, mm-hmm. all right, you know, I kind of scraped the funk off of it. Where I know a lot of people, you know, even going back to like James Jamerson and shit, man, they would just leave that. I mean, they would never ever clean their instruments, man. And, exactly. And they truly believed that was you know where a lot of the tone came from, which could be argued. You know, I don't know. 
I don't know either, but I'll tell you what, Gunk Scraper, you want to uh, you want to record a podcast here? Sixty five, baby. Whoa, Wowzer! We're climbing, number man. Sixty five, episode sixty five, Gearbuds podcast. Henry and Dave, hey. we are here making a podcast for you to listen to, and let's just do it, man. Let's, let's just dive into the symphony here. Here is your weekly reminder that cables are tone tubes. Uh, again, let's thank all of our listeners far and wide. Uh, thank you for sticking with us and, and checking in with us each week to hear us talk about whatever the fuck we talk about every week. <laughs> and as always, follow us Instagram, Facebook, subscribe, Spotify, Apple, Stitcher, Google. Uh, there hasn't been too much to update on the free stuff section of GearBudsPodcast.com, although just before go time here, I did find an article that was the uh, best freeware best freeware orchestral plugins. Oh, cool. Uh, so I'm going to go through some of those and throw them up on the website. So they're like uh, string, been, string sections and horn sections? Yeah, totally. Like That's weird awesome. percussion and all that kind of stuff. You know, most of those types of plugins in general are very expensive for the yeah, good ones right. because they're all multi-sampled giant libraries. It takes a lot, it really does take a lot of money and effort and to know-how to yeah. properly do it right. So right. it's cool that these are free. Haven't gone through them yet, but I will. And awesome. We'll report back. Uh cool i have also been keeping up to date on the spotify playlist so you can go and find that on the website too uh checking in on a few things that we've been following here uh we got a little herd immunity fest news <laughs> uh, which i believe happens this weekend so by the time this episode comes out it, it will have happened last weekend right uh for those who don't know and haven't been keeping score herd immunity fest which i think is called i don't even remember Minifest. they changed the name mini fest um uh, it's it's something that we've been trying to rail against a little bit because in general going to uh, music festivals right now, um, specifically ones titled Herd Immunity Fest, just seems like a bad fucking idea. Yeah. Um, I don't think one, we're the only ones either, by the way, that are that are railing I, you know, against it. I hope not. No. Uh, but this one uh, definitely is worth avoiding. Um, but we had to laugh a little bit uh, when uh, on the old group text with uh, you and myself and and good friend and former podcast guest Stingray. Yeah. Uh, he sent us a little article where uh, the organizers of this festival, if you can even call it or them that, were asking their fans to come and help them set up. Jeez. Because I guess they need to endanger more people before the festival starts yeah i don't know i mean well it sounds like i would guess like maybe people who were supposed to work on it are like fuck that dude i'm not i'm not doing that you know one yeah one would think you know maybe as a festival organizer in the future you can have a contingency plan for such things or maybe (laughs) just don't put on the festival well there's Uh, but you know what i guess if you really really need to see uh static x sans wayne static yeah and dope don't forget or dope (laughs) <laughs> yeah, uh, I you know that's a ba- that's a band name that I I've seen a five billion times in my life, and I'm positive I've never actually heard that. I think I could if I heard the song. I think I could probably sing along with it. But you're you know you're, again you're talking like the late '90s, um, kind of corn era. You know, new metal. Uh, they were in that circle, I believe. Yeah, yeah, and I mean I've certainly seen that logo, which is just like a a, a lowercase serifed font, I believe, with a period <laughs> at the end. Yeah. Um, but anyways, yeah, I really hope that that uh, doesn't lead to a huge surge in Wisconsin. Yeah, me too. Well, it doesn't seem. We right I, I would be surprised if. I mean, I'm sure we'll keep keep everybody posted, but I'm I'm curious what the turnout is actually going to be for that thing. Yeah, dude. Well, there was another one that happened. Uh, of all bands to have played uh, a, a concert during during these times that we live in, Great White what? played a show a couple days ago. Or maybe it was last weekend. I don't know. They were in North Dakota because, according to this article I read, there are basically no restrictions in North Dakota right now. Okay, right. Um, 
And so, of course, uh, bands like Great White uh, need to go and play. Really and need to get the, the out photos, there. The photos from this were also very alarming. It was outdoors, thankfully. Correct me but if I'm wrong, but didn't they almost burn down uh, a venue one time? Oh, not only they, they did, and 100 people died, dude. What? 100 like they, people? A hundred fucking people died in that nightclub, dude. Haven't they done yeah. enough? What are the, what it are they doing? It was real bad. Oh my so god. That, yeah. So um, just they they couldn't avoid it. I mean, there is a little bit of, uh, I guess ambiguity in this and that. Uh, so great. Honestly, I don't want to even devote it enough time to get so deep into it. But basically, yeah. there are two bands called Great White now. Oh. And one is was like the lead singer, and he whatever his name is, it's like you know Dick Johnson's yeah. Great White. And then there's Great White, which I guess is maybe some other members of the band, but I don't. I think it's maybe only one member, original member in each of them. So it, it's all very confusing. I don't believe the one that played this recent concert is the same as the one that killed those people. Yeah. Uh, oh, and maybe that fucking not. tragedy. That'd be but bad. regardless, it's still fucking Great White, and they're still d- knew exactly what they were doing. And I just hope it do- again doesn't lead to any more further outbreaks. Cause yeah, we don't I do need that shit too. Also, you, you made a really good point. It's bands that really seem to need to get out there and play. It's like fucking Great White, dude. Like you guys had a hit in like 1987. You know, like that. You're one- still getting royalty checks. You yeah. Let some, I don't. What the fuck. And I don't see you like chomping at the bit. Like what? Do you, I mean. How come we haven't heard of Great White playing anywhere else? Maybe we just don't pay enough attention. But like before all this shit started, you don't have bands that are like up and coming touring bands. You know, it's like when we talked to our friends Rookie the other day, uh, you know, a couple weeks ago on the podcast. And I and I asked him straight up. I'm like, guys, now, because, you know, hypothetically, because they are lifting restrictions, would you consider going to a place where yep. you can play just hypothetically? And they were like, fuck no. And no. I think you got to. So, okay, so you've got bands who are, like, really serious about touring saying, fuck no, we're not going to go play these gigs. Um, and then you've got bands who don't really tour, and they're like, we're going to go play some gigs. So it's it's really a, a strange a strange thing going on there. Big time. Uh, well, uh, you know, please, if you are one of our listeners, don't, don't participate in such madness. But there are some things that you can participate in, uh, including I want to just, again, remind people, saveourstages.com. Mm-hmm. Uh Go there. There, it makes they make it super easy to get in contact with your local representatives, your members of Congress, to actually get some some real changes uh, going on. And I, I can't remember if I talked about this before. I know I at least intended to, but I wanted to get it out there one more time. Uh, the company Hampstead Soundworks, which makes um, really sort of um, high end, fancy looking guitar pedals, they have one uh, that's that's about to come out July twenty fourth for one hundred ninety nine dollars. Uh, they have the Ascent Clean Boost. Mm. exclusively on reverb uh the reason i want to bring it up is that um, it's a really cool thing in that it's all members of crews of very big bands guns and roses acdc etc uh building these pedals in sort of collaboration with one another and then um, whichever tech actually makes it signs it and then all profits go directly to these techs who built the pedals while an additional 10 percent of the profits will be donated donated it's a it's a uk-based company and it's mm-hmm. helpmusicians.org.uk so okay. um it's it's just another thing that that people are doing right now to to kind of um, try to keep the the live music entertainment production world afloat while most sensible humans are not out touring playing shows right now awesome we will uh we'll get that posted on the facebook 
That's yeah, that's baby. Great. Yeah, we'll try to. Uh, July twenty fourth. Awesome. I'm sure that you know. I, I didn't see anything about numbers and availability. You know, of course, it's a boutique uh, thing, but I can't imagine. I, I I think that they're going to want to sell as many as they can. Mm-hmm. So I you know I, I doubt it's going to be like sold out right away or anything. That, but you know, what, frankly, if it is good, because that means a bunch of people jumped yeah. on. Yeah. Um, but also, I mean, I haven't played it. It's a clean boost, but it does. Um, it just looks really cool, and I want to try it. Yeah, it's just really simple looking, right? Yeah, it, it's simple and clean and sort of like this sort of like future modern aesthetic that I really like. Uh, I think it's almost, you know, that company Jackson Audio, they make those like very fancy, expensive, um, like silvery pedals, uh, yeah. silver enclosures and stuff. It kind of looked like that a little bit, but there's something also fancy about the Switch. has something to do with um, uh, the gig rig, their, their company, and the, uh, he's one of the guys from that pedal show. Um, I don't know all the specific details, but it does seem like a really cool pedal. And of course, you know, if you want to support the industry definitely get on that all right well cool uh good symphony bud let's uh let's go to my favorite segment every week dave's docs dave's docs uh well this was a fun one this week man um so we were talking about we we talk about metallica a lot i feel like on this it comes show. up so much it does and you know what though i mean look I, I was thinking back and i'm like they're probably one of the longest running bands in america you know ever if you really think certainly, about it. Certainly, certainly. Oh, never mind. I was going to say original lineup, but that's, that's yeah. not the case. They've had three well, of these players now. Close, close. I mean, I don't want to say close enough. You know, um, obviously they've gone through some bass players. But yeah, the fact that like, you know, they're still writing songs and Lars is still doing the Lars thing and James is still doing the James <laughs> thing. Um, you know, and uh, so so anyways, I did not know this existed. So we were talking about Bob Rock and kind of what a what. um you know, how much he's actually done for production and, you know, uh, to help Metallica get along. And I didn't know that he had worked with them. You know, we talk about some kind of monster, you know, that's, that's definitely in my top five, uh, docs. If you go back to that episode and we break that one down a little bit. Um, but I didn't realize how much he contributed early on. So, yes, sir. So the documentary is called, um, a year and a half in the life of Metallica. It's from 1992 and it sums up, well, it's the, the first half of it is basically them recording the Black Album, which arguably could be one of their best albums, you know, some people would say. Certainly um, the most successful. The most commercially successful, I would say. Um, and it's cool, man. I mean, it's, it's, it's a really, well, it's really long, first of all. It's like, it's three and a half hours long, I think. But it is available on YouTube if anybody wants to check it out, if you're a big Metallica fan or if you just want to try something different. Um, it's 1992. Well, 1992, it came out. So what did they record that, 90 or 91? I think it was the end of 90 into 91, okay. something like yeah. that. So, you know, you've got the band. They're still young, but you can tell they're, like, rich now. So they're definitely, right. like, they're definitely kind of, like, all a little bit, like, assholes to each other. And um, they've definitely been around, you know, around the horn as far as, like, recording goes and what they think is their process and, and how that works. And they, they hire Bob Rock, who uh, if people don't know, you know, uh, great producer. He was he was also in bands, you know, a long time ago, and um, he basically comes in to kind of help them shape shape their songs and 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 just basically work work all the controls and really and work the controls of Metallica in itself as a band. 
Um, and you know, I, I fucking loved it, man. I mean, I watched all, mm-hmm. all three and a half hours. You recommended it to me cause I, I really, I didn't really have one for this week and, and I was going to probably grab something, but, um, we were talking about by rock and you're like, dude, you got to see a year and a half of Metallica. And I was like, I've never heard of this. And I search docs all the time. I'm always Googling, you know, what rock docs, what are the best ones? I can't believe this wasn't up there in some of the top and maybe cause it's so long. Maybe that's why people don't like yeah. throw it in the mix of like the top you know, band rock documentaries, but I have, well, I'm curious if there, it, it, I wonder if you know, yeah. if you saw like, I, cause when I first watched it uh, as a kid, it was mm-hmm. definitely on, you know, multiple VHS tapes. I don't know that, like, I'm not sure if it's ever been re-released on uh, DVD or Blu-ray or anything like that. Yeah. So that's a good question. So, um, well, what I found when I Googled it right away on YouTube, there's a video, it's three, like three hours and 25 minutes or something. And it's, it's two parts. So, it, so the first part's them recording and the second part is them touring. And um, they they said it's remastered for 4K. I don't. I mean, it didn't look like 4K, obviously, because you can't just yeah. you can't just take film and like turn it into 4K. I get. Yeah, that. there is a sort of like processing algorithms. I and and just so our listeners are aware, I also joined in on the watch party. Yes. I wound up. I didn't. I didn't finish it. I think I. I definitely watched the whole first part and yeah. then maybe like 15 to 20 minutes of the second part and then just got distracted with other stuff. Sure. But I, I watched that same 4K YouTube version and you know it has it suffers a lot of the same stuff of the time, just like four three aspect ratio. But that sure. was just you know those were cameras then. Mm-hmm. I I did notice that the sound is a little funky. Did you like? Yeah, because there there are moments in the documentary where not only you hear just like album cuts, but in fact they even show the full video for Enter Sandman, and and there's something definitely yeah. like missing low end. There's something almost it sounds it sounds good, but like if you compare it to what the record actually sounds like, right. it's a little it's a little weird and that must just be because it was a vhs transfer at one point that was then you know yeah converted for youtube yeah that makes sense um yeah i mean look it, you know as far as being something from 92 and then being like watch this on youtube and it's quote unquote 4k or, or you know high quality i mean it, it looked great to me because i'd never seen it before and yeah. um you know i don't expect a lot when it's like something old into something new um because you know you can't you can always bump down quality but it's really hard to get it to go back up so to me, it looked great. Um, it was definitely watchable. I mean, it wasn't like you, you didn't have like the VHS lines, like going through exactly. the middle of the page and all that stuff. So, um, it, but I really have to say, and I, you know, we were kind of texting back and forth while I was watching it. I mean, so many things stuck out to me. And it, it, and one of the ones was, it's not the typical documentary that I like where it talks about, you know, the beginning of the band and how they formed and, and what they were like when they were teenagers and all that stuff. It really just jumps right in and you're in the studio with them and it's a fly on the wall, man. I mean, it is like there really isn't a time where there aren't cameras around them. So, you know, I'm sure they had to edit a lot out of it, but it seems yeah. like, it seems like they left a lot in there too, man. I mean, yeah, like, uh, like they're like when they're looking at for, for the, the one thing that really, I forgot about that kind of, I don't think aged that well is all the porn that they have around <laughs> yeah, all the time, like dude, the nudie mags. Dude. But here's the, the thing that I noticed. You don't ever see any naked women, but you definitely see Dick. Like yeah. they, they bust out. I, th- I don't know if it was Playgirl or whatever it yep. was, but there's like the, at one point and, and that was sort of one of the cringiest moments when they're just doing this sort of like kind of homophobic making fun of jason newstead thing like oh here's jason's magazine and it's a gay one yeah and then there's just dude dick right there i was like oh okay well i guess uh youtube missed that part yeah they were definitely bros man i mean there's you know there's some good scenes later in the second the second one where they're on tour and they're making fun of jason because he's taking the um like the cold cuts and the cheese and he's making little sandwiches to bring back to his hotel room later and they're like making fun of him 
And they're like, dude, you're making millions of dollars. You know, why are you bringing sandwiches home? And they even get the cameraman to like ask him or the producer. And he's basically like, you know, yeah, well, I got plans for these millions and it's not for fucking sandwiches. You know what I mean? So I think he was he was really thinking ahead and, and he was really trying to be like, you know, you guys are kind of taking for granted what you actually have here and how much how much waste you're really uh, oh, God. you're really Completely. doing. Um, like the scene where there's a scene, I, I, I think, again, in the second part where, you know, so the second part, they're all on tour touring for the Black Album and they're basically like they land on their private plane and then immediately like Lars is like rushed into a stretch limousine, but just him, not the whole band. And then later they show Jason like getting I swear to God, it's like a Toyota Tercel. I think it was like one of the <laughs> I think it was like one of the producer's cars. It was like, a, you know, like a, a teal green like 1985 Toyota. And he just gets out of it and, you know, he just goes into the you know, wardrobe or where they have to go. But it was it was just really funny to see kind of the access of like, you know, who, you know, who's kind of like, I don't know what to say this, you know, they, they earned it. Don't get me wrong, but they definitely weren't afraid to use their money. Um, and, and going back to the studio part of it, I mean, the, boy, did they dick around, man. In the beginning, and, I, and I'm sure you saw this part where where they're interviewing James and he's basically like, well, you know, I think they're trying to do scratch yes. tracks first. Talking and, about getting Lars in there. And he's like, he's like, well, you know, Lars likes to uh, he likes to work at night. So he sleeps all day and we're already here at the studio. And, uh, you know, he comes in when he wants and then he has to eat dinner and then he has to take another nap and then he might get down like a drum track or two. And it's just like, uh, at, oh like at like they're supposed to be there at three and they don't actually start until seven or something like yeah, that. Yeah, it's it's unbelievable, man. And like they even show Lars and he's like laying on the couch. He's like, oh, I'm so tired. It's like, dude, just be a professional, you know, <laughs> like plus you're just burning up the band's money by doing this type of shit. Right. So. I mean, and then that's kind of the interesting parallel, too, because, you know, I, I guess as a lifelong Metallica fan, I was already aware of this. But I think one of the things you texted me was that you were unaware of how much Lars does in terms of actually yes. arranging every song yeah. and and being the one that chooses the takes and everything. Mm-hmm. I mean, he him and James, like for the most part, they have written everything that has ever been Metallica. Yeah. And, and that isn't as evident when you just see him sort of like, you know, playing some average to slightly below average drums uh, right. live. Like the fact is, is he is one of the controlling people while James is the one sort of writing a lot of the riffs. Lars has a huge amount to do with what has made Metallica Metallica. So he had, you can see at this point, I think they're all in their, you know, not even 30 years old yet. They're all like in their late twenties. They're all millionaires. He's already been accepted as this like rock God. And you, you can see him really flexing those muscles, yeah. which I think is a super interesting parallel thematically to some kind of monster because mm. those two, those are two kind of companion pieces and you sort of see where the excess started mm-hmm. or maybe, maybe it even started before that, but you really see it happening. And then now it's all kind of coming to a head and, and blowing up in their faces a bit later on in some kind of monster. Yeah. Uh, when you watch that one, uh, dude, uh, that's a really, that's a really interesting point because yeah, some kind of monster, you can see him still trying to like hang on to that, you know, whatever you want to call it, pr- production credit or songwriting credit or, or whatever it is that he used to have more power. But then I feel like the band kind of got over it at some point. Right. I mean, yeah, there was a slight, I mean, they had, because at, by that point, James had been struggling with addiction and out of rehab. They'd sure. done, you know, load and reload. They'd kind of like, you know, in other words, already changed their sound, had these sort of like different, uh, tangents they've gone on. They, they went on hiatus yeah. for a couple of years. James hunted for fucking most of that time. <laughs> Kirk like right. studied, you know, horror movies and, sure. And they all did their own sort of weird their stuff. Lars got real into, yeah. real into collecting uh, expensive paintings. Right. So, yeah, the, the, 
those are I, I do sort of now in hindsight see those as sort of companion pieces like that's a really interesting them point. at the yeah. beginning of their rise or, or in mid rise the, the one other thing that I noticed which was kind of interesting at a, at a certain point in the first half they go and play like I think they play Donington a festival in England uh-huh. and uh, you know it's a metal festival and while the, yes they were there was a huge crowd and and they're on the main stage it was still daylight out yep. so it's kind of amazing to see like they, they, were, they hadn't released black the album yet they weren't the biggest band in the world but they yep. they were about to be there but it was just kind of crazy to see metallica and a festival like not playing at nighttime yeah that's a really that's a really interesting point yeah it was like one in the afternoon or something and they're out there it i mean obviously been, yeah. it was packed and like everybody was into it but yeah it was in the middle of the day um yeah, dude. That, you know, that's it was dude. It was fantastic, man. So thank you for the recommendation um, for everybody. What's listening. your rating? Well, I mean, I've got to give it. A, honestly, man, I've got to give it a four and a half out of five handlebar mustaches. Oh, James's mustache. James's mustache. James's hair in that is to me the best hair. I mean, he's got the he's got the hair with the handlebar mustache coming all the way down. The lion's mane. Everybody's got great hair in that man. Lars has like the the girl swoop. Like he's got like he all does. the hair goes to one side. It's kind and of feathered a little bit. It's feathered. It's kind of like the Johnny Depp look, you know, a little bit. And then um, you know, you got of course you got Newstead with the uh, with the undercut. And he pulls oh, it back God. in like a bun, so it looks like they cut his sideburns all the it's way up so to the badass. top of his head. It's, it's I love so, that haircut. And he wears the he wears like those big like creeper glasses, you know, the whole time. Yeah, I uh, I loved it, man. I gotta say, it was a great recommendation. Whoever is like making these lists of these documentaries for me to check out, I don't know why that wasn't on there. Um, I'm upset about it. I'm really glad I found it. So if you guys are bored and you have three and a half hours to kill and you like Metallica or you hate Metallica, a year and a half in the life of Metallica is definitely definitely worth the watch. Dude, couldn't agree more. And and like, I mean, there's so much good gear spotting. There's just tons, dude. You know, seeing like uh, the sort of dawn of digital recording. Yes, they're going to tape, but you can see there's they're using a, a console that has recall and it has yeah. one of those like old school CRT monitors that's only got like green text on it. Yeah. It's a uh, it's a good one. I I definitely agree with your recommendation for the world there. I was gonna say before I jump over to Riff Library, I did really quickly want to touch on a. It's it's not technically Dave's doc, but it was okay. a, a, a video that I saw yesterday. Uh, there's this um, guitar player named Khaki King. I'm not sure if you've ever listened to her before, um, but I I'd kind of forgotten about her a little bit to be honest. I she there was this sort of like early 2000s movement where a bunch of just like super badass female guitar shredders popped out. Like of course Saint Vincent is the most famous, but then yeah. there was Khaki King. There was also Marnie Stern. Um, she's, she's just like this really great guitar player, but I saw this video that I, re- I meant to send you and I, I didn't, but basically I had never seen this before. It was a live performance. I think Ableton posted it, but she, it's just her playing a solo acoustic guitar piece and doing some looping. Mm-hmm. But the really cool thing about it, and this is what I had never seen before her guitar, you know how sometimes there are those like, um, instead of wearing a strap, you can put a guitar on one of those stands yeah. just to like keep it in place. Like fearless flyers. Absolutely. Do it. A bunch of bands Keller do it. Williams, in man. fact, Metallica does it as well. Uh, James, so when he plays Nothing Else Matters. That's right. Well, it was an, she has, I don't know if it was her signature guitar, but uh, she has a signature ovation acoustic. And the guitar and the entire set and her whole outfit were all white. And um, what they did was, since the guitar is on this stand, they actually were doing live projection mapping onto the guitar while she was playing it. So it was all these like really interesting laser patterns and like videos and still images and stuff that were actually happening. I don't know exactly how they were doing it, but it was clearly a projector of some sort with what she was playing 
live. It was fucking cool, dude. I'd never seen anything like it before. Just like imagine someone on stage and then like all you really see is is the outline of a guitar, but then with all these crazy visuals and graphics and things happening live to the music that she's playing on it at the same time. Well, there you go. So Khaki King, live projections, guitars. Hell yeah. Uh, I'm going to jump into the riff library real quick, talk right. about another one of my favorite records here. And we're going to bring it back to the year 2000. Uh, this this record came out on Touch and Go Records, one of the finer Chicago labels to have existed. And it is by the band Blonde Redhead called Melody of Certain Damaged Lemons. I, I had a hard time picking... Blonde Redhead's been one of my favorite bands for the last... 15 years or so um i and i had a really hard time picking which record to go with i decided to go with this one it's their fifth record produced by guy picciato he's probably most famous and known to people as having been the founding member of rights of spring as well as a guitar player in fugazi for years um it's like i said their fifth record so when they started out they were um pretty much just like in in many ways kind of like a I hate to even say it, but sort of a, a like a Sonic Youth ripoff. Mm-hmm. Um, they, they it was just very noisy and angular, and in fact, I'm pretty sure uh, maybe Lee Ronaldo might have even produced some of it. They they were kind of it took them a while to sort of find their own sound. Um, but with this record and the reason that I chose it, I think that they they started to. And in a lot of ways, I, I kind of think of it as like a reverse Rubber Soul because oh, cool. for me, Rubber Rubber Soul is that record that like transitions the Beatles from yes. their sort of pop sound into the more experimental sound. Yep. And I feel like this is kind of like the inverse of that, where they kind of went from being this just like super experimental noise rock band mm-hmm. into writing actual songs with really good melodies. And, and there is still some of that weirdness in there and some of the sort of alternative angst that was very you know uh, common at the time. Sure. But um, super listenable record. Um, one thing I want to say before I get too far away from it is that uh, the band is – it's a three-piece. Mm-hmm. And I would argue potentially – the most beautiful band that has ever existed. Uh, it's it's bro- uh, twin Italian brothers. Uh, what are their names? Simone and Amadeo Pace. Okay. And then um, uh, the lead singer. Uh, actually, they kind of switch vocal duties. And all the band members, other than the drummer, kind of switch around a little bit okay. with like what they're playing guitars, keys, bass, whatever. Um, but Kazu, she's a singer. And it's, they're just like this. Like They could all, if they weren't amazing musicians and band members they could all have been models, models. or like form, <laughs> formula one drivers or something like right, that because right. she's from japan they're from italy oh, but they all hilarious. met in new york after yeah. art school but then just like make this truly beautiful damaged music wow um, one of the things i learned about that's that's kind of interesting is that uh i've never watched rick and morty personally mm-hmm. but i guess one of the songs on this record which i believe is for the damaged has become like the theme song for some there, I, I don't, I don't, I can't speak to the actual context of it, but from what I've read, it seems like in multiple episodes, one of their songs is the theme song for one of the characters on Rick oh, and really? Morty, and it's become this thing. Oh, wow. uh, so now I, I need to watch that even more now yeah. because now, like, one of my favorite bands has music in there. Oh, that's cool. I didn't know that at all. Yeah, I've seen a couple episodes, but I would have never like tied the two together, of course. But um, totally. Oh, that's funny. It's man. really good. I highly recommend it. It's a lot of. Um, sort of you know just like 2000s indie rock but with a lot of really crazy texture and and color and instrumentation um this record might not i think it's a good record to start with i mean i think probably their most accessible is is the record um called 23 or even misery um what is it called uh misery is a butterfly which is the record came after this um but i i don't know personally this this is probably my my number one record for them and I, it was funny for me to bust out the vinyl because i you know 
being a super vinyl nerd, yeah. I have their full discography on vinyl. And when I busted this out, I realized that this is one. when I got into collecting records about 20 years ago, this was one of the sort of like first new ones that I bought. Mm-hmm. And like all of the wear, like I must have listened to the crap out of this because really? there is a lot of wear on the record. It looks like a record that, you know, you would have bought from somebody in like the 70s or yeah. something that. Do they have know, like the ring where like the record is and all that stuff? There is a ring. Yeah, yeah exactly. And and then even the record itself, like you can tell it was sort of, like it still sounds great, but yeah. you can tell it was before I knew how to like super properly sure. take care of. Sure. records and stuff so um important one last thing i'll say about them that um was kind of super fucked up but has really f- uh, informed them as a band so right after this record kazu she's she's also um very into like horse horse riding i guess mm-hmm. and she got trampled by a horse and like so they had to t- and she was very very horribly uh injured oh my God. and they had to take like years off as a band and then the whole next record there's a bunch of stuff about it including the song equus which of course means horse um about her getting trampled by a horse so it was at this very transitional important time for them as a band that then went on to sort of lead them down the road they went on so, so check it was, out uh sorry so so the horse thing happened right after this record into the right next after one? this record okay. into the next record yeah wow it's a melody of certain damaged lemons blonde redhead 2000 you know it's on the playlist you can get the record it's a it's a wonderful list and i highly recommend it so many good songs on there yeah speaking of which man um we got to re reboost the uh the we'll, we'll blast out the playlist again for everybody because that's uh i put that on shuffle the other day with just like all the albums of your recommendations and it was so fucking random, but so excellent at the same time. Um, so definitely check out the, the Gearbuds uh, playlist. Hell yeah. Get that shit on Spotify. Damn right. All right, dude. Got a few things for Future Gear. Uh, just happening? wanted to quickly mention, uh, we've talked about this a few times in the past, but the Daredevil Pedals Hype Pedal yeah. is now live out in the world. It has been for a few months, but it just got a very glowing review on Premiere Guitar Yeah, magazine. I saw that. That's awesome. Congrats to Johnny, man. That's a big, yeah. that's a big boost, man. That's great. It Pun is. Intended. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, it is a big old boost, baby. Uh, it's uh, yeah. He he pretty much in the review said all the things that I feel like we've kind of said about it already. Um, but go check it out. Buy that pedal. It's only like eighty nine bucks. It's not even that expensive. Yeah. Um, but I wanted to say quickly that yesterday I kind of got a little bug up my butt. Um, so since I've been going back into my uh, rehearsal space again, mm-hmm. I've just been started leaving my practice or uh, my uh, my pedal board there. Okay. Well, yesterday I decided to, I wanted to put together like a little home board, uh, and I decided to go all battery powered pedals really the only pedals that i could power via nine volt to make it per, uh, completely modular interesting or i should say a mobile More po- uh, portable yeah. so the hype the hype is on there i've got uh i went with the uh, cattle and bread uh karma suture which is Ooh, like that's one of probably my favorites. favorite uh harmonic percolator clone that isn't actually a harmonic percolator then the hype then i went with uh, i went with a tube screamer because okay. uh, that's a little uh, little battery powered mm-hmm. and then uh tc electronic polytune 2 tuner pedal which honestly didn't even know that that pedal could be powered by battery until i was going through my pedals yesterday yeah i didn't know that either that's that's actually that's great now do you think um just speaking of pedals and like kind of from from my standpoint of not knowing as much um are there pedals that that do both power and battery that sound better on either or I'm sure people could make that argument. And that's something that we actually, uh, in the Vertex episode uh, with our our buddy Mason, uh, Mm -hmm. the Rig Doctor, episode 50, we talked about a little bit. Uh, There are arguments to be made for that. Personally, um, I couldn't begin to tell the difference unless, of course, you know, the battery is dying. Well, yeah. (laughs) It's just starving out a little bit, which can be a cool sound that can be desirable, too. Um, I don't know. all All these pedals that I've mentioned, I guess other than the TC, I don't know exactly how much it draws. They're all very, very low current draws okay so uh a nine volt battery would be enough power to to handle that again until it starts to die out right 
I just, my, my main power supply is on the other board and I have like some daisy chains and stuff. I just, I don't know. I kind of wanted, it was like more it. of like an exercise than anything else. It'd be like, all right, I've got like the mini, uh, pedal train board. It was, when I got it like 10 years ago, it was mm-hmm. the smallest one, but I think they even have smaller ones now. Yeah. I was just like, I want to get some dirt on here. Um, but it's kind of a, it's kind of interesting because m- although all mine are already on my other board, like almost all delay and, and reverb pedals do take a lot of current and right. don't except battery you know so like the board is just literally three gain gain pedals and a tuner Uh, (laughs) i want to get like some sort of smaller maybe like an analog delay that can run on a battery uh to go on there but yeah right now it's just that little just a little four uh, four pedal board i was just thinking of that um i think it was like boss or like those 80s japanese pedals some of those ran on 18 volts too didn't they like literally two batteries yeah for sure uh and and even uh, some pedals can run on 18 volts now of course it needs to be designed for that Um, but the you know like in fact a lot of gain pedals will sort of advertise that as a feature gives you higher headroom Mm -hmm. um but yeah totally and and but i I will say if anybody's thinking about doing that one thing to keep in mind is that the way pedals are designed uh almost almost 100 of the time uh, plugging a cable into the input jack is what creates the connection between the circuit and the battery so in other words if you want your battery to last longer always unplug the input jack it doesn't matter the output jack right. because that's that's not connected to any of the circuitry. Mm-hmm. So that that is sort of like the one sort of um, one of the fallbacks or um, I guess you can say sort of uh, inadequacies of doing all battery boards. You have to remember every time to, to unplug, unplug all everything. the pedals. Yeah, I was going to ask so, you about that because, you know. um, yeah, I know I, I, I made that mistake back in college. I had an active uh, base and we had the batteries in it and left it plugged in for like a week, went to rehearsal. And, of course, it was DOA. So She gone. Uh, yeah, yeah, and then there's really no option there, you know, if you don't you don't really have a power supply for a, a guitar or a bass. So, um, but yeah, I was going to ask you about that with the pedals, if that's the same technology. I'm, I guess it, it is, is yeah. for sure. Yeah, it's just because uh, the input jack on a pedal um, almost always is uh, inst- even even on a mono pedal, you're still going to get a TRS input jack, and it's so it has that extra uh, lug so that it can uh, connect or disconnect from the power supply, mm-hmm. uh, when it's not in use. But I mean, frankly, these pedals, they have such low draw. You'd probably be fine for much longer than like your active base plugged in, but why, why drain them for no reason? So yeah, I just yeah. gotta, just gotta remind myself, uh, even though I'm, I'm stoned and stupid, gotta remember <laughs> to uh, unplug the battery pedals. I, I like that. I like that challenge that you kind of gave yourself about, you know, let me just see what I have for battery pedals. Let me just throw them together and then see how it sounds, you know, and I'm, I'm sure it yeah. sounds fucking amazing. So it does. Yeah. I, you know, I've got to say, I don't really love all three of them on together at the same time. It just like gets yeah. a little too blown out. Right. Um, but, uh, the, I, yeah, I really, I mean, you know, I'm, I'm going in those Balthazar amps, so they're already on Ooh. like a really awesome tone to begin with, right. but it just kind of, kind of takes it over the top. And I think I'm actually going over to shop tomorrow. I think I'm going to bring that board with me and oh, that's uh, a good idea. use it, use it for some, uh, for some tone testing. I love it, man. Boom. That is that Daredevil Pedals hype. Go check it out. Uh, did you get the reverb email about uh, prices or uh, I should say the cut being increased? No. You know, it's funny. I saw this on the dock and I didn't I didn't actually get an email about it, which is funny because I've I have a profile. I've sold on reverb many. Yeah, guitars. that's really weird. And it, um, yeah, or maybe I deleted went it. Out to sellers. Maybe I thought it was junk mail and I might have deleted uh, it. Um, 
But I see that they've raised their fee from three and a half to five percent. That's right. And the first time since since Reverb uh, began, which according to the email was 2013, did not realize it was so long. Yeah. They have raised their their selling fee for the first time from 3.5 to 5 percent. And I'm you know I get it. Like I think everyone was sort of predicting that this right. might happen once right. Etsy was acquired. And I'm pretty or uh, I should say Etsy acquired them. And I think Etsy's seller fee is even higher than that. I want to say it's like seven and a half percent, but I'm not positive. Um, so people were worried that that was going to happen, but yeah. you know, I guess it was bound to happen. I think as an individual, I'm not super worried about it, but I think if you are making your entire living, yes. um, just selling on reverb.com, it's that could, you. Yeah. that could make a, a bit of a dent. So, you know, yeah, that's interesting, man. Um, because at a time, and I know you're not a huge eBay guy, but I did a lot of sales on eBay and I still always look at guitars on eBay because I think you can find weirder stuff on there. Um, as long as you know what you're looking for, you won't get completely ripped off. Um, I know a friend of mine yesterday bought like a, he got a pretty amazing deal on a, on an old Gibson bass, you know, just threw it through a low ball offer on an eBay sale and the guy took it and you know, that's what he's got. But, um, I have to say eBay has always been three and a half. So that kind of put them in line with each other. And I think yeah. it's going to be interesting to see if people want to save that one and a half percent, if they are going to, I think a lot of people list on both anyways, but I think it's going to be interesting to see, um, if they either try to keep up with them, you know, if they bump theirs up too. Or if they're going to stick strong to their three and a half percent. Dude, that's that's really interesting because wasn't it that eBay was ten percent and then they had so, dropped to three point five because of reverb? Well, no, um, not well. I don't know the whole history of it, but I do know one time by mistake. So if you list an instrument as vintage, like if it's under the vintage category on eBay, uh, it's a ten percent take that they get. Um, and then, so I made the mistake of selling a sixty-one P bass under vintage, and they were like, "All right, here's your fee." And I was like, what the hell is this? And it was like, you know, $600 or something like that. And I was like, whoa, this is, what is going on here? This, it's supposed to be three and a half percent. And I called them and I've had a, I've had a profile for a long time. So it worked out in my favor where she was like, you made a mistake. You just should have listed it under that, but we'll, we'll give you the three and a half percent because you've been a member for so long and all that stuff. So I, I lucked out, but yeah, if, if you sell something under listed under vintage guitars and basses on eBay, it's 10%. Everything else is three and a half percent under their, um, you know, musical instruments category. So well, I would say uh, probably let's not be surprised if uh, Everb go or Everb if eBay goes <laughs> up to five percent now. Because I mean, yeah. why wouldn't they? Why wouldn't they? I mean, and and that's kind of the thing, um, especially because I would predict. I mean, one and a half percent is not insane, but it, like you said, if you're a power seller or if that's how you make your living and you're you're flipping stuff and trading stuff, that one and a half is going to catch up to you for sure. So it sure uh, is. It should be so interesting that to starts. See. August 4th. So mm. if you're uh, contemplating moving some gear, I'd say get it get it listed now and uh, try to try to make the most out of it Absolutely. until you uh, have to lose some more percentage yeah, points. I know there's a couple pedals that I've been thinking about selling that I'm going to just get on and finally list now. Yeah, might as well, you know. Sweet. No, we we've got a, uh, you know, we're going to close it out with a whole bunch of Gibson talk here. All right. We've I love got it. Three different Gibbs, Gibby things. The first one here, um, I saw an article. I so I'm a member of the, my Les Paul forums, which I, I think is pretty much like the biggest Gibson Les Paul, um, forum yeah. on the web. And someone had posted this article, which uh, was on wall street journal. It was behind a paywall. So they actually took screenshots of the whole thing. Uh, so I could read it, which was cool. But, um, so I, there was this, I, I don't know when it was maybe a couple weeks ago, an article on wall street journal com about authenticating Les Pauls and in this in the story which we've covered so many times about you know the 58 59 Les Paul sunburst sure. burst Les Pauls um, but this is this part I had not heard about yet so from July 58 
to early 1960. Mm-hmm. Gib- obviously, this was you know back in the time uh, they all records were kept by hand. Yeah. Well, uh, the ledger for that time period is missing, and it has been for a while. And um, th- so back in the what was it the 70s, Gibson moved from uh, their original location, the manufacturing location in Kalamazoo, Michigan, down to Nashville. Right. And it is uh, believed that during that move. Uh, somehow that that ledger went missing. Now that is the only ledger that ever went missing. So feels a little fishy when we're talking about the mm. time period in he which the most one, valuable guitars of all time. And one were sheet made. of one sheet of paper went missing, or one you know one book. Went it's missing. one book, but yeah. yeah, right. So there's a lot there's a lot of speculation about that. But basically, uh, Gibson is like kind of very serious about trying to find it right now. Uh, people think that maybe it burned or someone stole it or whatever, but right. they have offered a ransom of 59, very intentionally, $59,000 if you can provide the ledger or information, I guess, that leads to them getting the, the ledger so back. So what, what do you know, like what information is in the ledger? Is it the sale price and then the serial number or like- Every guitar that was manufactured. So th- okay. at the end of each year, they still had- um, they would have end of year records, which may or may not be hundred percent accurate, but this was as every guitar was made, every detail about it was, right. re- was recorded. So, okay. and, and what the article goes on to talk about, of course, it has a lot of the background that we don't need to, to rehash here, but they were talking about, uh, they were talking to some of the people from Gibson, some experts and Gibson themselves estimate that there are at least 200 fake bursts right now circulating with collectors. Which is kind of crazy when you're talking about I, there's you know the exact numbers is just under 1,500 guitars were made in that time. But, so now they believe that 200 you know which is a major chunk of those are fake. So what uh, do they mean by collectors. fake? Like they were like overseas guitars or they could they could be yeah they could be they could be just sort of like Tokai or or right. any of the Bernie but brands or damn, whoever. That's a damn good fake. I mean if you think about how nuts, especially Gibson's collectors. I mean they're up there with Fender guys. You know how do how do you how do you get how do you get duped for that long like let's say well most of those people are private so what what the article talks about Mm -hmm. is how the reason for that is almost all these transactions are private so there isn't someone like reverb or chicago music exchange or grooms or any of these experts that know what a burst really is as part of it and that these continue to change hands because the original person who made that purchase is very embarrassed by the fact that they were duped so then rather than show their hand and say like oh by the way i'm a ding dong that spent two hundred fifty thousand dollars on a fake they're gonna just pass uh, because it along. You, you can do conversions that look really good for sure i mean there are ways or right. things to sort of reset the neck and and even retop it repaint it right. people have gotten very good at that right um but i mean joe, joe bonamassa is one of the people that they talk to a lot and uh-huh. he said that he himself has owned fakes wow. and but he learned very quickly that you can tell and and dude here's the other thing he fucking owns eight 59 Les Pauls. Oh, well, so he's got Joe Bonamassa. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I had no, I knew that he had, I some, thought he had, a I didn't few. know he had 18 of them. Wow. So he's just, he's the guy, he probably knows everything there is to know about those guitars, like as far as yeah. authentication, you know. For sure, and in the few that I've gotten to play that CME has, like the second they got him, the he he drove up to try him out. Like that's he's just yeah, he is one of the sort of like main main dudes who knows what's up. And he he's on record as saying that he doesn't think that the ledger exists anywhere. He thinks that it was either you know destroyed or yeah. lost in a fire. Um, but yeah, dude, pretty interesting. The last yeah. the last thing that I that I want to mention about it is they were talking about Jimmy Page a little bit and mm-hmm. how, of course, you know, he is sort of one of the reasons that people like care about these guitars to begin with. Sure. 
And they were talking about uh, sales prices of guitars, you know, of course, like the the expensive ones, what they've gone for. And one of the, I don't remember who it was. I don't know if they were from Gibson or or Norms. What there? It was one of the experts in the article mentioned that if Jimmy Page ever sells his main fifty nine, yeah, they expect it to go for twenty million dollars. Okay. Yeah, I think that'd be fair. <laughs> which, which I can't argue that necessarily. I'm not argue that, I mean, man. what I mean, was that? That Kirk guitar was just what, like six million? Six, for a basically like six point one million. Yeah, for a uh, and then the and, and this is the Gilmore the Strat f- was obviously four million or around that yeah. price. So yeah, twenty million for for Jimmy's original. I mean, yeah, dude, I, I could see Crazy that for sure, town. man. Wow, that's. Ooh, that's uh, that's hard to wrap your head around, but uh, yeah, dude. But that's awesome, man. A um, couple more, couple more pieces of Gibson uh, yeah. in the news right here. Uh, one, I would say, you know, sort of de- partially debatable in terms of uh, how one might feel about these things. Mm. But um, Gibson's back in court, as they, I mean, they just like have been all about the litigating for a while now. Yeah. Um, the first one, uh, you actually sent me the link to this one, and it was they have issued a notice of opposition to Collings guitars. Mm, yeah. Which, uh, so basically Collings uh, makes electric guitars and they're really fucking awesome. And some of them vaguely resemble Les Paul. And and I think that the crux of the argument is about the headstock design. Yeah, it's the headstock is, they don't even show a picture of the body and I couldn't even tell you what the body looks like. Is it the single cut, like Les Paul classic style or well they do have guitars like that yeah. but i i think it's because they they put that sort of similar three on a side and similar i say very loosely uh a three on a side headstock right. that gibson uses which also every acoustic guitar manufactured essentially uses and also so many other guitars i mean why aren't they suing gretch you know like that's pretty damn close you know yeah well maybe they will honestly <laughs> Yeah, and and also I guess Gretsch is like sort of owned by the same company, or they're oh. basically owned by Fender, so maybe they don't want to go after Fender, and they're just going after these little guys because they know they can sort of bully them in court. Yeah, well, the I article shows so it, like the first picture of the article is is both headstocks, the Collings and the Gibson next to each other, and in my personal opinion, I don't think they look anything alike. I mean, you've got the Collings kind of tapers up towards the top, and it's got an offset. What do you call that? Like the book. Uh, the open book, the open stock. book style. So instead of being centered, it kind of goes off to the left a little bit, yep. you know, maybe in a half an inch. And then the Gibson obviously is, is way more symmetrical um, and it goes straight up and down rather than tapering into the top of the headstock. So this is actually closer to a PRS headstock. I said, without those little, without those little horns at the top. You yeah. Know? Without the notch. Thing. Yeah. Yeah. And here's the thing. I mean, so the, the argument for all of these, even when speaking of PRS, even when Gibson sued and won against their single cut, the argument has been that across basically across a smoky bar, uh, yeah. that a, a patron of the bar would be confused between seeing <laughs> that guitar and seeing a Gibson. They wouldn't know that even though Gibson has, you know, sort of owned this trademark for whatever, for yeah. however long, 60 plus years, 70 years, that, that there's this confusion about their brand identity. And, and, and here's the thing that, that actually bothers me because while that might actually be true, like, someone might be confused who is that person if you or i were in right. that bar you, we would know instantly that that's not a gibson yeah and and aren't we the ones that would, this should be about the yeah, people that, that actually care, care right. the people that actually buy guitars like if you're just uh, if you're just some amateur non-musician non-guitar player even just like a total beginner you, you would you don't give a shit you yeah. see you just you know that they're playing a guitar it doesn't matter to you what the brand is people like you and me we know we already know oh that isn't a gibson like unless you're 
10,000 feet away or something like that. You might yeah. think it is, but I mean, but then you're going to see the body. Yeah. You're going to see the body before the headstock anyways, from that far away. So, yeah. and, you know, and, and again, I, I, I believe Collings has a trademark on this particular headstock. So that's what makes it even more interesting is that they're suing against something that's actually been trademarked. They trademarked right. their it's, own headstock. It feels just kind of like a weird bullying a situation. And everyone was saying that after Henry J left Gibson, who, mm-hmm. you know, he was this like, sort of just like real litigation heavy shitty ceo that things were going to go back to normal and gibson was going to get back to being what gibson was and and i I think that they have done that in some respects at least from the product line perspective Mm -hmm, you know they've definitely simplified and gone back to the roots of what makes a guitar great granted they're still expensive as hell but now they're still they're even doubling down on all this litigation stuff which takes us to the next one uh which is they're also suing satellite amps yeah over the epiphone coronet so uh, if you're not familiar with that guitar, it kind of, it sort of looks like, um, kind of just like a junior, yeah, like a round, of, like a rounded like, junior. Yeah. Much rounder, kind of like goofier looking almost like a little, like, almost like a, a junior double cut, like the newer ones. Yeah. But, but um, like, yeah, the, the horns are really round. They're not like the pointy, the pointy. Yeah. Guys. Not yeah. like an SG or anything like right. that. And, and the headstock, uh, you know, it looks like the old, like early sixties Epiphone headstock, which is sort of like a Gibson, but then it kind of flares out a little bit. Anyways, Gibson stopped making those guitars a while ago Mm -hmm. um, although they did start up again at a certain point i think it was like the early 90s and essentially they uh, i think probably accidentally let the trademark lapse Mm -hmm. so satellite amps swooped in and they started making just like a, a, a spec for spec clone of those guitars. Yeah. Um, satellite amps, of course, mostly known for their amps. I did, frankly didn't even know they were making guitars. Yeah. Um, I, I when didn't you look, when, yeah. when you look at it, it like, you know, same argument from five feet away. It looks, I mean, it looks exactly like the original. I agree. Right? Like it looks just like what that guitar, like, even with the badge on the headstock, the same thing. So this one, I've got to be honest while I don't love any sort of litigation in the gear world. I right. actually kind of see where Gibson's coming from on this one. Yeah, we talked about it a little bit, and I, I, I agree with you on that respect. I think um, it's not the most creative move to just steal a body um, and just be like, we're going to design something that looks almost identical to it. You know, I, I always think it's cool to come up with your own designs. That's why we really love builders who who really try to like do something different. Um that being said, I think legally the trademark had expired for this body shape. Now, I'm not saying it's right to take it just because it is, but I think they might have a harder time with this one. I think so too. Yeah, it's it's going to be really interesting to see what happens. Uh, you know, the satellite argument is that they're big fans of the guitar, and I'm sure they are, and and they're saying that they're you know they felt that there was this sort of gap in the market, and that they wanted to be able to sort of fill that, and also. Um, you know, respect the heritage and, mm-hmm. and, and create sort of uh, more awareness of the history of this guitar. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I, don't, I mean, that, that's, a, that's a really nice company line. I don't know. It, it seems to me like they saw a way to make some money and yeah. decided to jump on that. And I, and I don't necessarily blame them for that. But at the same time, the original company that, want, you know, that, that created that design uh, isn't okay with it. So I kind I don't know. It's going to yeah. be, again, it's going to be really interesting to see what happens. I kind of feel like Gibson has more of a leg to stand on with this one, just in that there, there are some sort of precedents out there where I can't remember all the legalese terms for, it, but there are some, some ways that they can make the argument to say that even though the trademark lapsed, they were the original creator of the sure. design and blah, 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 right. IP holder, all that sort of stuff. So it'll be re- really interesting. I just, I sort of, yeah, I, I, I get a little, I don't love it when, 
companies just take something that's been done already Me and too. then just do exactly that. That's Me not too. my favorite thing in the world. Well, it's uh, like especially we could, yeah. We, uh, sorry, but we could go through a book and be like, all right, what trademarks have expired, or you know, and then go. Yeah. Well, I'll take that. I'll take that. I'll take that. Which I was telling you, I think on text the other day, that happens in the design world all the time. I want to say um, it was like old, old, some old Mickey Mouse cartoon or feel. Oh, it was Felix the Cat. That's what it was. The trademark had expired for Felix the Cat, so that basically meant anybody could go out and make you know, um, a design that had that on a t-shirt or a sticker or a skateboard and, and make money off that. This happened a few years ago and what it, it's up to the company to buy back that trademark. You know, that is their legal right. Um, and obviously they get first dibs, but you know, it, it's, 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 it's hard to say. I don't think it's cool that satellites like, well, let's just design it to be exact. I mean, maybe cut the horn off the back or something, you know, like make it like a little bit different, you know, I don't know. Yeah. I mean, every detail of it down yeah, to, again, it, even the headstock was, the, it looks just like an old up phone cornet. And, yeah. It's cool. Um, it's a cool looking guitar, by the way. And it's kind of neat that somebody's reissuing it in a way. Maybe there's some way they can, I don't know, give some percentage back to Gibson for these sales. I, I don't know. I don't know the, the size of satellite amps. I can't imagine they're a giant company. They're a I've, small company I've for sure. I've never heard of them. But I, I totally they sell, agree they sell their amps at CME. They're they're good amps, but you know, expensive boutique, handmade, low quality or quantity, I should say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, amps. So I can't. Yeah, it's by no means a big production of yeah. what they're doing with it's all a, this stuff. And I've never got my hands on the guitar itself. Like I've played, I've played old cornets. I've even played some of the newer ones that they put out. And they because I think at one point Epiphone reissued them, and there was like sort of a cheaper version, and then more of like a master built version. And they, yeah. and they were good instruments. Um, but I haven't played the satellite one to to comment on the quality of those. But it looks like they're awesome you With, know they look really cool uh quick side note were these the same guitars that um it was the Ep epiphone made them right for yep. technically um mm -hmm. was this the same one that prince smashed at the end of that saturday night live video and it was the guitar i can't players? remember if it was a coronet or a wilshire which are i think it was a basically wilshire, the maybe. same yeah, with like the different or i think uh I, I can't remember i feel like the wilshire has two pickups and maybe the coronet has one okay. i i'm not an expert on these i would have to look that up yeah. well, but very very similar to the <laughs> yeah one. yeah similar um they were probably around at the same time anyways but that's like, funny i didn't even think of that yeah well that's what i think of when i saw it i was like oh I, it looks familiar you don't see a lot of these buy Epiphone in general anyways on the used market I'm sure they're not cheap if you wanted to buy you know one from the 60s or something so no they're in the, the multiple few thousand dollar range yeah. for sure cool cool looking guitars though man I gotta say yeah well it'll be interesting I think we're I think we're on the same page as far as like what's legal and what's not also what's just not fucking cool you know <laughs> like just exactly I like mean that. the music industry world is such a small one with yeah there are a few sort of monoliths like Gibson and Fender which I think people probably assume are actually they're giant companies, don't get me wrong, but I think people probably assume that they're even bigger like Amazon or Apple or something no, than they actually yeah. are. No, not but, at all. But, yeah. you know, I don't like any... I hate to be so kumbaya about it, but I don't like when there's any sort of infighting in this already very sort of small at risk industry that yeah. we love and talk about every week. So it just, especially as, as a Gibson guy, I yeah. just, every time that this comes up, it just makes me feel a little, little, a little more weird about, I know. I, I, love that I mean, company. I feel like we talk about it a lot, but we're not the ones making these articles. You know, we read these things and we send them to each other and we go, well, that's just a, you know, that's something else to talk about. So, you know, I don't know. I hope Gibson figures it out, man. I hope whatever, like, distress they're under or whatever like money they're losing i hope they make it up by all this because you know they're a great company and they should they should be around and i want this to be worth it i don't want you to just sink a bunch of other companies and then all of a sudden now you have to like keep doing this just to like keep your head above water if that's the case you know dude well said i completely agree and i feel like that is a a perfect way for us to wrap that because right. let's just uh let's just hope for let's just hope for some some good to come out of it i like the i'm Kumbaya not feeling thing, particularly man. positive i i, th I think it, it feels pretty icky to me frankly it does man but hey um i think that's about it for today what is, that's about it buddy going on? All no right, i man. think we got it so you have yourself yeah, 
as nice of a as nice of a weekend as you can. All things you too. considered, you too, man. And uh, uh, stay safe and healthy. You yep. know, you too, Give man. Give your best uh, to your loved ones from me, and uh, love you, buddy. I love you too, man. We'll talk to you real soon. Okay.